If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where would you come from? I am Priscilla Granger, and I'm originally from... Marino from Contra, um, a bit of a mixture of me, and I now live on the Navan Road with my daughter, Amy Granger. I am Amy Granger, um, I'm 24, and I live on the Navan Road with my mum, Priscilla. So Amy, you and I, full disclosure, we know each other yeah. a, lo- a long time, <laughs> both of us in travel, um, but also I just I knew there was something different going on in your life, and you were always being pulled to do different things. Yeah. Um, so do we want to quickly talk about that and say what that is? So from like a very, very young age, um, I had suffered a lot of domestic violence through the hands of my dad and obviously working full time and then going through that trauma is very hard because you're trying to move on with your life and then you've been pulled from that because, you know, you're going through the motions of it all, all the time. Um, so from a very young age, I think from I was early as maybe eight or nine, um, from what I remember, domestic violence being as was that it was a lot of shouting, it was a lot of screaming um, between my mum and dad and not knowing that that was wrong um, in a kid's life. Um, and the the first thing of violence was, um, I suppose, gambling, because how, I, how vi- domestic violence triggers me now would be how I didn't even know when I was eight or nine to be left in a car for two or three hours while my dad went in and gambled in the bookies, not knowing where he was, telling me he was just in the shop. So the first point was neglect. Um, then it came to a, you know an emotional thing of we'd be at home and he'd be sitting there and he'd be watching the racing and it was always horses. Um, and he'd have the paper there and he'd have his bookies pen and he'd be marking horses. And if he didn't win a bet um, and say I was in the sitting room or I was playing with my toys, then it would be taken out on me that he didn't win a bet. His anger would just take over him. Um, so that's how domestic violence started for me. It wasn't just, you know, he had an anger issue and he took it out on my mom and then took it out on me. It came with other small minorities of gambling and of drink. Um, and maybe growing up, he went through that as well, you know. So um, for a long, long time, I thought that was all normal. Witnessing domestic violence was the first thing. And again, you think it's normal. You know, your, your parents are meant to teach you and especially like my mom has taught me so much in life but a father is meant to teach you you know that if anyone ever hurts you you go to your dad or you know you have a special bond with your dad but I don't know what that's ever like because I've never had that Mm. um so for a very long time it was as if like does my dad hate me or is it because I'm being bold 
it was constantly them three words, you're being bold. Right. So that's all I knew. Um, and that was from a very young age. Um, there'd be times where if I was sick or I wasn't well, um, he just wouldn't care. I suffered with asthma as a child. Um, and he just he just didn't care. It's as if he didn't want me. I felt very neglected as a child. Um, and I suppose the mental kind of torture of it then would be that he'd say one thing and then say, oh no, that's because you're being bold. But that's all because he had an addiction. But I didn't know what that word was yeah. as a kid, you mm. know, and no child should have to understand that. Mm. Um, and then it was because I just got the blame. It was Amy's to blame because she's bold. Mm. Um, so as I grew older, I kind of started understanding the word domestic violence, but I never used it towards him. I would never say, oh, you're being violent to my mom or you're being violent towards me. Um, and then it got to a point where I thought all this was normal and people always say to me, did you ever tell anyone? And I'm going, no, because I have to stress that it's normal. Mm. Children don't understand violence. Like they see kids hitting each other in the schoolyard and they think, oh, that's just a fight. But when it's in the home, it's behind closed doors and you think your dad or whoever the abuser is is meant to protect you and be there for you. My dad wasn't and he never was. Um, and then it turned to a point where it was physical and I have to stress that it wasn't wasn't physical 24-7. It was the odd thump. It was the odd hit. Can I ask you? Mm. And I'm going to take it back a bit. But when you say, I, do, I, I again, like we're just going to have an honest conversation. When you say, I want to stress. Yeah. Why do you want to stress? I suppose because I've seen so many other kids. You see kids on the news and, you know, you see mothers or you see wives or just women in general and it does happen to men but 90% of the time it's women you see them being murdered by their husband or you see them being violently attacked and probably 89% of the time there's children involved there and I'm looking at the kids and I'm going oh my god if only you could have got out sooner you know and that's why now I'm always saying to parents you have to see the signs of kids you know going through the motions and if you think there's violence there go with your good and absolutely take your child out of the situation um, because I suppose if I had known what domestic violence was as a young kid I would have went to my mum and told my mum like my mum didn't know anything because again this was nor- normal in our house you know mm. but you said I have to stress he wasn't hitting me that, that you know so are you wh- why are you saying that are you saying that to protect like him or like you know I don't know what it was I think it was because as a kid I was never sure whether what he was doing you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. could I ever go to my mom and say oh dad's hitting me because I thought that's what happens to all kids you know when they're bold Mm -hmm. you know um but excuse me obviously now when I say like I want to stress to be able to tell other people like Mm -hmm. it's so important that the first sign that you ever see you know now obviously because we've so much more understandings of red flags and stuff like that you Mm -hmm. know because when I did the conversation, had the conversation with Jen's journeys, and so her, she was in a um, domestic violence relationship, um, and she got away because of Carter, because the baby she was having, she was pregnant, and she knew she had to get away from him. But before we get into what you are doing now as advocates, Priscilla, from the very beginning of your relationship with Amy's dad, um, can you talk to me about that? Yeah. Um I met Amy's dad in 1989, and in 1995 we got married, and we never lived with each other, which was the biggest, biggest mistake before we got married. Okay. Okay. Um, But again, didn't know, 
that, you know, well, at the end of the day, you do it this way. And everything was fine. His family were quite different, but I put that down to they wouldn't have been as outgoing because I came from a background. My, my dad started off from, my dad was from the Liberties. My mum was from Leitrim. Um, my dad was a barman. My mum worked down in Sheriff Street. She was a, a secretary. Um, then my dad, uh, both of them obviously done well, bought their first pub when they were very young. We moved to Limerick. We came back. So we were a very close family, but there was only three of us. But obviously our name, the Granger name, was very synonymous in the pub trade. But we weren't a wealthy family. We were a working class family because... We always lived over the pubs because when my father was trying to buy a pub, you couldn't have a house. So it was one right. or the other. So I met the man in my dreams, as I thought. And got Can back. you tell me about that first? Or what was oh. that like living over the pubs? It was brilliant. And people still say to me to this day, oh, my God, Priscilla, how do you live in that B&B? I'd go mad. I know no difference. Mm-hmm. I, we know no difference because that's, I suppose, the trade... Um, we grew up in um, the trades. You'd be always there late at night. Like, you know, mum would... I go. I went to school in Rohini. I mm. went to Scalonia in Rohini because we lived in Betty Glen f- for a few years in Rohini. So I went to school in Scalonia and I used to get the bus into Ballybock and mum would be cooking upstairs. I mean, my father was the greatest character in two feet. And, like, there was no kitchen in the pub in them days. Like, I was going back 77. So food wasn't a big thing in the pub trade. But he made a kitchen overnight on the landing of the pub. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But to this day, it's amazing. Like, you know, Mick, uh, we've heard that looks after Amy and I, and he's a taxi driver, and he, he gives us lifts here and there. Mick would have known my dad, and he said, you just couldn't have got the most decent family. And even now, when you drive through Ballyback, if someone says, where is Bayview Avenue? If we just cut past Granger's pub... Mm-hmm. Pack Ranger. Did you know Pack Ranger? Mm. He was just a very, he was a well, very well respected guy. Very good to the old, very good to the vulnerable of the inner city. Um, was he loving? Very. I didn't know what domestic violence was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course they'd have rows. Um, you know, mum and dad would have it out with each other in front of me. But it wasn't vicious. It was about something my mother wouldn't agree with with the business or something she wouldn't agree with what he did with a staff or with a customer. He might have went over her head on something, but it wasn't nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Went on holidays. Um, Dad had come home for his break at half three to half six. Go back in before the tea hour. I'd be sitting on the couch, especially on a Sunday, watching the little house in the prairie while Mum made the dinner. Very normal family. Um... There would have been babysitters in mind to me because they worked in the pub at night time. Did your mum as well? Oh, yeah. Mum mm-hmm. was the success of my dad. Was she? Like, for a woman, and um, now she's in a wheelchair and people say, what happened to her? I said, she got chronic arthritis. My mother had no problem lifting kegs up mm-hmm. and down the cellar and would put it up, take no crap from no one, and would say it straight out. remember one night she rang my father and he was up in the Granby. They had the Granby Bar in Pernell Square. And... Uh, she rang him, she said, Ralph's been held up. Oh, he says, I'm not going down. So she I wouldn't expect you, Sissy, because Sissy, I'd have to get you a load of bog roll, you'd come up the shit. <laughs> she was the strength of my dad. You know, they were amazing parents, fantastic. My mum is now, unfortunately, in a nursing home. But 
she's uh, more or less wheelchair bound now. So I can't look after her at home with a business. You can't do both. Mm-hmm. She needs 24-7 care. But amazing parents. Amazing, amazing parents. And then where did you meet Amy's dad? So I met him in the Cat and Cage pub and drum contract. Remember? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still there, isn't it? Yeah, it's still yeah, there, yeah. yeah. My parents had just lost their shirts in that year. Uh, the recession had hit hard and they bought an old house in Drumcondra to turn it into a and b which they did, and they called it Leitrim House, hence where I get my name called Leitrim Lodge. <laughs> so we went down to the pub that night, and I met him, and he asked me out for a drink a couple of nights later. I actually was going to a party, and we got chatting. And he came to the party, and it started off from there. Good looking. All right. I was probably, my emotions were probably a little bit low because of the family business going, we'd lost our home. We had a beautiful house out in North County, Dublin. It was uh, five and a half thousand square feet. Um, Recession hit, mum and dad, the banks moved in and they took everything. And we ended up homeless in a granny flat in Roselawn in Blanchardstown. Oh my God. Cars were taken. How old were you? 21. What did it do to you? We got the fight back in us and we decided we weren't going to let it take us down. And we got back up on the ladder and I saved a few bob and I got a mortgage and I got a loan and I bought the house on Interim Condor. So they started B&B and Dad and Nam would obviously look after that and then I got two jobs, three jobs and that kept kept us going, kept us afloat. And I know where you get it from. <laughs> Don't make it up down. No. Yeah. So did he see wealth? He was very foolish if he did, because mm. he surely was duped if he saw wealth, because there was nothing there. Absolutely nothing. I think what he saw, and he thought that there was, was the synonymous Granger name, mm. which was a load of bull. Like the grinders are all hard working people, it, you know. There, there were. We, it's not a, a load of pubs, but I think he thought plenty of dash here. And as I said, I didn't didn't live with him. And then we got married, beautiful wedding out in Forest at a golf club. Second night of the honeymoon, he bought me. Uh, we were in Clearwater in Florida. And because I would not sit down in the lobby with him to have a drink, um, I was tired and he gave me a, a right beating. And I just got into the bed and I just didn't sleep. And I quietly slept, got out of the room and went downstairs, told nobody. But I was embarrassed. I wasn't shocked, I was embarrassed. And the next morning, I said, how am I? I knew it wasn't right. I said, how am I going to go back home? New bride coming back to her house that her parents had helped me and my strange husband buy. How am I going to come back and tell them my marriage is over before it even started? The shame, or the shame, or the shame. I was so stupid. There was no shame. I know that now, Mm. but hindsight. Mm. So the honeymoon continued and it was, I'm sorry, 
I didn't mean to. So, anyway, continued on the honeymoon, and it went to the back of my head, but it wasn't at the back of my head. Came back to Dublin, moved in to a marital home. A couple of times it happened. I left, and I left when we were nine months married. I had enough, couldn't take it. Did anyone notice in the nine months? I went over to his parents and I pleaded with them. I said, he's gambling. I am begging you. And the reply back I got was, you made your bed and it line it. Yeah. So I went down to my parents in the family business and I broke down. I said, I can't take this any longer. But the mistake I made, I never told them he was beating me up. Okay. Why didn't you know? I was ashamed. I was ashamed and I was ashamed that what if the marriage breaks up? What's going to happen to the house? My parents could be homeless. That house where my parents were living was in my name. He's entitled to half of that. So he then started to financially control me and abuse me. And then in 97, I became pregnant on Amy. And 35 weeks into the pregnancy, he fired a vase at me. And I went into early labour. I was taken into Hollis Street. And they injected um, steroids into Amy's heart, liver and kidneys in case that she would be born. Um. But no social worker came near me in Hollis Street and asked me what happened to me. Nobody reached out. And I remember my parents coming in and saying, what happened? I said, I fell. Were you marked? Were you bruised? No. No. He was very clever. Was he? Because he had hit me straight in the stomach. And he went out to work. I went to the pub actually and he wasn't a big big I wouldn't have classed him a big drinker now looking back he wasn't a big drinker he was just a big gambler so I came home and in 1998 then 3rd of May Annie was born and I came home and I felt so lonesome with this baby I went to my mum's for a week and then he demanded that I come home I went home with this baby and I was obviously going through the baby blues what you do and I did the night feeds he might have got up one night I did the whole lot Was he happy we were pregnant? No, no, no because I now realised looking back Amy was born so the whole attention was off him mm-hmm. he didn't want and as Amy said the rejection that she got that's the rejection I got too he didn't really want this child Um. So it continued on from 98. Can I ask you, mm. are you, not that you're used to it, but do you, is, does that hurt you still to this yeah. day? Yeah. It's the rejection that Amy, as she said, what she misses is not having a dad because you see other people girls out there and other boys out there and they have fantastic parents um, and he and as I keep saying to her you don't realise he gets clear clarity sometimes when he and I would know him and out and if he's down watching a United match in the local pub and he has a few pints of Budweiser 
he gets clarity in the brain. He'll open his wallet. The only photograph that Amy's dad has is of her when she was three. He has skipped birthdays. He has skipped her 21st. Would you want him there? No. But I wouldn't have stopped it for Amy. Would you want him there? There's never, <coughs> excuse me, there's never a yes or a no. In hindsight, it's always, oh no, why would you want your, as someone who abused you there? But deep down, it's so hard because you want that perfect. As mum said, like, she wanted, everyone wants a fairy tale life, you know, and that's never possible. But in hindsight, deep down, you always want <coughs> both parents. For years, I would have always said, you know, I, I love my dad, but I didn't love him. I loved the idea of a dad. So him himself, no, I probably never would have. But I would have had kind of a thing where it's been, I love my dad, but not him. Mm. You know, it's the rejection because it wasn't that, you know, he was just gone because of the violence. Like, it's so easy for other people that have never gone through it to say, oh, sure, you know, just get rid of him. It's not easy because... Number one, you have a bond because he's my dad, you know. Um, and I always get asked, "Have did you ever have any good years with him?" And I could probably put them all on one hand, you know. Um, there was never a relationship between me and him, um, because he obviously just didn't have any interest in me. But it's so easy for people to just turn around and say, "Oh, just get rid of him." But you can't get rid of something that has been in your life and as a baby that you've looked at and you've tried to look up to, you know. Um. So, yeah, it's, it is easy <clears throat> for people to say, like, you know, um, all of that. Mm-hmm. So take it back then from your attention. So, in... The violence was increasing hugely, and I knew Amy, I knew Amy was seeing it. Whether she was seeing it or she heard it, I, I left a couple of times. When she was nine months old, I left on New Year's Eve. I loaded the car. He was in the pub. The day before New Year's Eve, I loaded the car. And I drove around Dublin. And I went down to Wolfton Street. And my insurance was due up. And I put the money through the door. And I put a note, please wait for the balance. And I drove down to Leitrim. My parents have a house down there. I drove down. And I remember driving down... The Cavan Road past the McDonald's, and it was half four, five o'clock in the morning. And I had a nine-month-old child in the back of the car. I put hot water bottles in that during the night before I left to keep the car, keep the car seat warm. And I could see the Christmas trees starting to. There were baby parties that were on in the house. And I said, why is there happiness in so many houses and there's no happiness in my house? And on my way down at about 20 past six, I rang my mum and dad and I said, look, I decided to leave Dublin for a couple of days. I needed a break. So went down anyway. They came out. They knew there was something wrong. The next thing, my dad looked at me and he just took Amy in, my, in his arms and he said, what's wrong, Priscilla? We're in arrears at the mortgage, Dad. We owe eight and a half thousand. He's gambling badly. So I remember my dad saying to me, Did he touch you? I said, No, Dad, never. No, he wouldn't touch me. But little did he know. 
he'd beat me up on the, on the 28th. So I had all the bookie statements. You could have plastered this room twice over with all the statements. And my father went through them. So he didn't know I was gone. Until he woke up that morning at 10 o'clock and realised I was gone. And I wouldn't answer my mobile and he rang the house. We did a landline at the time in Leitrim and I answered the phone. And he said, what the fuck are you doing down there? You get back to fucking Dublin, he said. And if you don't, he says, I'll put a rope around me fucking neck and I'll commit suicide and you'll be the cause of it. My God. And I came off the phone. And I said, I'm after being accused that he's going to commit suicide. My mother said, that's his choice. Everybody's given a choice to make it in, in the world. So my mother took the phone up and she rang him. So she, you don't hold my daughter. And I said, she, I'm warning you. So he calmed down and rang me back and apologised. And of course, I went back. Why? I loved him. I was brainwashed. I adored him. Because I thought he loved me, but he never loved me. He loved, he loved, I suppose, and probably loved the property and he probably loved the lovely house. I thought I was a good wife. So it continued. And then in 2006, I was discovering he had an affair, he was having an affair. And I had got bad news that my dad was very ill. My dad had a very rare blood disorder. My dad was very, very, very ill. And anyhow, long story short, uh, his affair continued. But there was nothing I could do because I couldn't really take him on. Because I was getting the beatings, getting the hidings. And when I would say, why are you going away every second weekend? I have a job down the country because he was a taxi driver. I'm going to Cork. So anyhow, I did a bit of digging, hired a private investigator um, on the 25th of May, 2007. Planned it all. Got Annie ready for school, got her, he was bringing her to school. Um, met the private investigator on the Navin Road at the petrol station. Went on into work. And at 20 past eight, I got a phone call. My dad was in hospital to say, Priscilla, your dad's after taking a turn, you need to make it over to us, to James's. So I rang my mum. I drove down the Navan Road and I couldn't drive. So I rang Cabra Guard at the station. They said, pull in, we'll bring you over in the car. I was ringing him. He wouldn't answer the phone. And all I was concerned about, what if I don't get someone to collect any from school? He told me he was going off to Cork. What am I going to do? The child, what am I going to do? Was, oh my God, what am I going to do? Anyway, got over to the hospital. And uh, went in. Dad started to cry. He knew he was in trouble. And we knew he was in trouble. So they made a decision that they were going to put him into an induced coma. So they took us down to the theatre. It was the pre-room. And um, we were such a close family, the Travis. And he just looked up and he says, I don't want to die, Priscilla. Where's John? Because he liked him. Mm. He didn't like what he was doing financially, but he liked him. And I said, um, he's working, he's on a job in Cork. 
Okay. Okay. Hard. Working hard. I said, yeah. They were the last words we spoke. He went into the induced coma. There was no beds in James's. So they had to find an ICU bed. So they transferred him to Vincent's. I went outside. rang the PI. He says, Priscilla, he's not going to Cork. He's on the road to Galway. I said, pull. I'm going to pull it. He said, you're not pulling it. He said, this is the evidence you need now, he said. So it was discovered he was in Galway with another lady collecting the same age child from school. And here I am getting strangers, you could say, to collect my child, because I'm an only child. I have no sisters or brothers. So... Ta- Mum and I got a taxi over to, over to Vincent's and I told Mum in the back of the car what he'd been doing to me. And I said, Mum, he's in Galway, on the way to Galway, having an affair. I knew it. I fucking knew it, says she. The bastard, says she. He wasn't happy with a good wife and a good family and a beautiful daughter. He had to go and trade us in for somebody else. The bastard, oh, she was... And the next thing, I'll never forget it. My mother had rang him and told him that my dad was very ill and it wasn't looking good. And um, the text came in on my phone, it binged, and I read it. And it was, I'm in the church in Fermoy saying a prayer for your father. Oh my God. And my mother said, may he fucking die in hell. Telling the the lie, saying he's in a church. Anyhow, we went in, that was an ICU, and... um, P.I. rang me. He said he's in Port Leash to give me updates. Mm. Here he was. And he arrived in and he looked at my mother. Never said where was Amy. Never said, never came near me. So we went in and he said to my mother, I want to see my mother. said, no, there's other people before you. So anyhow, we, we went in and um, at 27 minutes past 11, my dad died in my arms. And my marriage was over. And I knew it. And he put his hand on my shoulder. I said, get your hand off my fucking shoulder. He knew I knew something, but he didn't know to the extent. Mm -hmm. So my mother pleaded with me not to say to anybody. There was only two people that knew within the family. And to keep it going. Because Amy was making her communion literally two weeks later. So we did. Dad's burial, his funeral, the whole lot. Amy's communion. Amy was so important. That was It was her day. We wanted to make this special for her. So anyhow, after that, I put him out. And I went in and I got a safety order. So you got to remember, it's now 2007. And I married him in 95. Jesus so it's taken me 12 years to get a safety order. Or a protection order. So I got it. And I put him out. But he was very clever and very emotionally abusive. Two weeks before my dad's first anniversary, he wooed his way back in again. And I took him back. Why? Because I missed him. Amy missed him. We missed him. And I thought, give it a second chance. Give him a second chance. Everyone deserves a second chance. And did you know he was gone? Like, did you, were you aware at a 
are you going? Because we know when people separate, we've got kids as young as three saying, where's daddy? Yeah. Where's daddy? Um, I was at a childminders and um, it was my mum's friend. And she came over and um, she said, I've, I need to talk to you. She said, um, she said, your daddy's gone. And I just burst into tears straight away. But I I suppose, looking back, I, I felt a sense of relief. But I also was very confused. I didn't know what to feel because he's my dad and this is the way it should be. It's mommy, daddy, family, house. Um, but I, I was very, I think, confused, not knowing what to feel. But my mom had just told me, look, um, your daddy is gone. He's gone to get help for a while. So, you know, they were the words used. She didn't need to go into the ins and outs, but also she didn't know what had happened, you know, in the kind of previous times and, you know, all the memories that I had, you know. So, you know, they were the words she kind of used was daddy was going to get help. Um, and then it was just obviously me and my mum for a while. So it, it was very weird in the house because he wasn't there. Um, there was a few times he had come over to see me. And um, I think one time it was Father's Day and... Um, my mum had said to him, do you want to come over and see Amy? It was always my mum arranging for him to come over. It was never, can I come over and see Amy, you know? My mum would never be the person to, to turn around and say, if you want her, you know, go to the courts or whatever. She had given him the option because at the end of the day, he was entitled to see me. Um, and he came over and he was there for about half an hour and I had a Father's Day present for him, which he left on the couch um, and spent about an hour with me and uh, that was it. There was no, you know, father, daughter, bonding, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. No, nothing. And then when he came back then, what are you feeling then? Do you remember what you felt? I don't remember what I felt, but from then on, I just kind of remember him coming back. Um, and then the arguing and the fighting starting again. But I didn't confide in anyone, you know. Um, and it was, you know, dad always needs help. Um, that's what I, I kind of have memories of as my dad being very sick and him needing help and my mum not going through, you know, the ins and outs of what a child, you know, should know. She protect me. Did you have friends? Like, and were you, did you, like, we always say this, like, about my dad coming down the road drunk. Like, that was my thing and we'd be mortified saying, oh, here's my dad down the road. Like, what about friends and stuff like that were fighting? Um, no, I mean, like, I had friends on the road and my mum would always make sure that I was out with friends or I was in a friend's house. She tried to obviously protect me as much as she could. Um, but there was never a time that I remember ever telling any friends from, you know, we lived in the state at the time, ever telling any friends what was going on. Um, now, maybe that their parents kind of knew, but no, there was never a time where I'd say to anyone on my road, oh, my mommy and daddy's fighting. Does yours fight like this? Because as a kid, you don't, you know, talk about that. You talk about kid mm -hmm. stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And as you said, it was just very normal. You thought that's what normal happened life. in all houses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when he came back, did he change? Yeah, for about a month. Mm. So then I realised marriage was doomed, it's over. Were you stronger now? Yeah. Okay. The anniversary was over. Mm. I was stronger. So we were in financial bits. So we basically, and we had the house in the Navan Road. And unfortunately, because my dad died with a rare blood disease, disease he didn't have mortgage protection he couldn't get one so we, I had two big mortgages so my mum said why don't you sell your your house our house is, my house is big enough on the Navan Road build a granny flat I'll move into the granny flat and I'll give you the big house and that's what we did 
We moved in in September 2010. And in November 2010, I caught him. He didn't know. He was having another affair. And in March 2011, I discovered he was a pimp. And he was with prostitutes. How the hell did you find that out? Got an anonymous telephone call from to my funny to my mother's landline. Not many people would have known my mother's landline at the time. So I started digging and digging and digging and digging, and I yet again I couldn't do anything. Amy was making her confirmation. I couldn't do this in her. She'd lost her granddad. I couldn't do this in her. So, is the prostitutes worse than affairs? To me, they're all the same. Mm. To me, they're all the same. Um, whether I don't know whether he, whether he was with males or was it just females, I don't know. But what he did, and across the boundary, and that's when they say, and I suppose I am, a rat cornered their young. By Jesus, that's when I start minding my young. Because he allowed his prostitute to come to our home and start interfering in our life, threaten us. We ended up in a guard station one night in a cell for protection. What do you mean? Oh, threatening that she was going to take Amy from me. She was. They were going to sue us for the house, which he did. He, he cleverly took a massive case against me in the family courts. And unfortunately, because it's in camera, it can't be discussed. But six years, seven years, he put me through rigorous hell. But anyway, I won in the end. But uh, he got, or she came up with an envelope, with a scan of a fetus in an envelope and addressed it to Amy to say that she was pregnant and Amy was going to have a new sister and new brother. Never forget the day. Never. Oh, my God. And what happened was my mum, we were in the granny flat, she had ran in. She knew who she was. She'd seen her. And I ran in behind my mum. And I looked over the sh- on my sh- over her shoulder. And my mum didn't know I was behind her. And there was a little yellow note to say, um, something along the lines of, Dear Amy, um, you're going to have a new brother or sister. Um, it was from your dad's girlfriend and your dad. And I went into the sitting room. My mum got into the car and she went off. I had no idea where she was going. And I remember sitting clear as day on... Do you know, like one of the swirly poo fate things? Mm. I sat on that and I was turning and turning and turning and I was like, in my head, I was 12 and I'm going, I know that's something to do with a baby, but I'm not really sure. Um, I knew it was like a scan of some sort. So my mum went off. I didn't know where she was gone. My granny was inside. She was reading her paper. I couldn't go in and say, I'm not sure what that is. Because you have all these things going through your head and you're going who's she and I was putting two and two together and I'm like well that must be my dad's new girlfriend and they must be expecting a baby um, and then obviously my mum had told me um, much later on who she was and we were sitting with a counsellor one day and um, the counsellor said um, what do you think your dad's girlfriend does but I had found out what she did because <laughs> I actually listened to my mum having a conversation with someone <laughs> and at 12 
um, I sat with a counsellor with my mum there and I said she sells her body for money and the counsellor kind of didn't know what to say because she wasn't expecting it yeah but at 12 years of age I was exposed to them adult teams through no fault of my of my mum's but for me just I suppose being a protective barrier to my mum and listening and making sure she was okay so being exposed to adult themes and to understand um, what pr- prostitution is at a very young age and then to put all of that together you know it a child's mind, it's all, it, it's nuts then when you put it all together, you know. And then you had to go down to the police station. Yeah, so then we took, a, they took a charge against her under the harassment post and telegraph act. Because she then started, my mother, my mother was over with her friend out in Shankilla and she took it, she started my mother. And what I didn't like, and I will say this to anybody, these, this is what abusers do. And this is where the trust I have lost. I would have told my husband. There was no secrets. There was no holes barred in my marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say my marriage, me. Mm. So I thought there was no holes. There was no secrets. There was no lies in our marriage. Mm-hmm. But certainly none of mine. But he let secrets out about my family to her. Because she repeated every one of them back to my mother. Wow. And that hurt. So she was charged and we ended up in court. Then he had threatened to murder me. He was found, he pleaded guilty. He got a wonderful sentence of 12 months suspended sentence and 150 euro fine. After threatening to murder you? After threatening to murder me. And then he was exposed by the Sunday world two weeks later for prostitution. Being a pimp. And... That's what saved us, I think. That's what saved us. Is so. Was that wasn't as shameful as the beatings? No, that was your. That was, and we were saved. I'll tell you why. As Amy said, our home was going to be saved. Um, his characterability was ruined. Mm-hmm. But I still wanted Amy to ensure that she had. That she saw her dad. I didn't want mm. to stop this because I didn't want for the communication to break down. Mm. And Annie will tell you she met him one day in the Phoenix Park and he told Annie when Annie asked him. Yeah. Um, I, at the time, I was about 13 and I had said to mum, I have questions and I think as a child and as a daughter I'm entitled to the answers regardless of my age. I already know, you know, there's no going back. And so she had rang my dad and organised um, for him to meet me in the park. And my mum said, do you want me to come with you? And I said, no, no. I said, I'm, I'm well capable of going on my own. And at the time, I had fallen and I was on crutches. <laughs> Again? Again. Again. <laughs> and um, we went to um, the visitor centre in the Phoenix Park. And um, for some reason, I felt very nervous. And I don't know whether that was because I was coming into my teen years and I was understanding emotions and I was understanding hormones. I don't know what it was. But I think I felt very vulnerable as well because I was on crutches as well. So maybe that was a, a part to play. And um, we sat down. And at the time, um, I had a phone and an iPod. And it was sitting in my lap. And just literally the way we were sitting across the table on a bench. And um, he said, so how are you? I said, yeah, grand. He said, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah, fire away. And I said, um, I showed him the article. And I said, that's you. I said, is that your girlfriend? And he laughed and he said, no, he said, Amy, that's my twin. I said, well, you don't have a twin, Dad. I said, you have brothers. I said, you definitely don't have a twin. No, no, that's my twin. 
So you're talking to a 13-year-old <clears throat> about prostitution. He obviously wanted to avoid the subject, mm. but didn't speak to me about it at all. And then had seen that I had my phone on iPod. I had turned around <clears throat> my phone. My mom had texted me to say, are you okay? And um, I went to text her back and he reached over, was nearly on top of me, grabbed the phone and iPod off me and said, you're recording me. So I said, you know what? I said, I've had enough. That's where I felt very, very vulnerable. And I said, I want to go back now. And going back, I remember shaking and I didn't say anything to my mom until he was out of that car park because I knew my granny was in the back of the car. I said, if she gets that to him, I said, that would be a situation myself for the night. So I sat in the car and I just burst into tears. And I think that was the first time ever I let my emotions out to my mom and granny and I went, he's after saying that I've been recording him. He wouldn't answer the question. He told me that was his twin. And I think that was the first time ever in my life that I have cried with my mom and granny over something like that. That there was, I was starting to understand that domestic violence. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Do you know what, like, because even though we know each other so long, well... Covid years, that blinded years. I actually don't know the ins and out of your story. I knew there was something. I knew then, obviously, the past few weeks and the live show, and you supported me with that. Like I didn't know the ins and out of your story. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to talk about again about what you do now. But when you say that saved you, that article saved you. Was he going to be getting half of your house? Was he going to be take getting that was the courts? I'm going to say it, and I'll say it in public records. Only for Mick McCaffrey. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Who's the crime correspondent of the Sunday world? I have no doubt if that article wasn't written, our family would be visiting us in Dardis Town Cemetery. 
Really? Two weeks before we before the, the divorce, I got the most scariest letter ever. And he was fighting it tooth and nail. He didn't care about my mum in a wheelchair. He didn't give two shits about Amy, and he certainly didn't give a fuck about me. He didn't give two craps. And I remember we went down and to the divorce, and it was quite emotional. I found it very emotional, because... I had lost my dad, I had lost my husband. I wasn't a wife anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. And I remember coming out and saying to my mum, it's over, ma'am. And she says, and look at you, what have you got? You got the diamonds. You have Amy. Any approached him outside the courts, which was very brave of her. I wasn't going to. And I had given, I had a, written a three-page letter. I had started and crumbled up and written all over again. I wanted to write a letter to him. At, I was 18 at the time. I thought it's a perfect opportunity as a young woman now to let him know <clears throat> what he has done to me as a kid and to let him know that he's not welcome in my life anymore. Um, and I, when I waited outside for him... Um, I called him by his first name. He didn't deserve the title of dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, his solicitor, he looked at his solicitor and his solicitor said, this is your last chance. There's your 18-year-old daughter standing there looking to speak to you. And she walked away and um, I called him and he stood outside the court and arms folded, defence mode. And uh, I read out a three-page letter in the middle of Smithfield. No shame. Why should I have hidden it for long enough? Um, and I basically said, when I get married, um, I don't want him anywhere near me. When I have kids and I'm older, I don't want him anywhere near my children because he certainly won't do what he did to me, to my kids. Um, and I told him that he should be obviously ashamed of himself for what he did. But it's unfortunate that the way his life turned out, he thought it was okay to treat, treat people like that. And I just handed him the letter and um, I walked back in and the goosebumps um just my mum was standing there, solicitors, barristers, and everyone just clapped when I walked back in, and that was the day we were free. Amy was divorced. Mm-hmm. I was divorced. My mum mm-hmm. was divorced. We had barristers and solicitors who waited for over six years to get paid. Six years. Because they knew I hadn't got it. But they believed in me. And to this day now, this is role reverse because now I'm able to, you know, refer business through friends and stuff like that. Um, but I remember walking out and I was so tired. And obviously we went for a couple of jars. We went on, on the lash for the day. Divorce party. A divorce party. <laughs> it was lovely. And I did feel free. But the next day we came home because we stayed in town. But he was determined to leave my poor mum and me and Amy homeless. And that, if he had to approach and say, look, I need, I need a few bob. I, look, what can you do? Can you raise 100,000? Can you do? We, I would have been very kind and sat down and said, okay, let's try and negotiate here and try and see what we can come up with. Still, what you, what, even though he wanted, he was 
But I, at that point, I didn't realise how bad he was because I didn't realise the, de- the, gambl- the, the debt I was in. So then I discovered, before the divorce, there was nearly a half a million in debt. Oh, my God. So the house that we had in Leitrim, my parents at the holiday home, they gave it to us. That had to be boarded up. Talk about feeling the failure of a daughter and a failure as a mother because I didn't protect her. Why didn't I, why didn't I leave on the first time and stay out of the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time? No, nine attempts it took me. So, of course, I feel a failure sometimes as a mother. But now it's completely different because the strength is back in me and I'm so proud of Amy to where she's come to. She didn't have it easy. Um, especially with her dad. She certainly didn't have it easy in school. It was very difficult. Um, she's been thrown from pillar to post because my mum was the one that helped me rear her. She was living next door. She'd get her ready. Like if I had to go into work early, she'd get her ready. Um, bring her over to school, collect her. Um, so it was difficult. Secondary year, second, secondary school. And giving her, you know, she'd say, Mom, can I go to... To the right venue, and I'd say, oh, Jesus, here we go again. Oh. <laughs> and my mother would say, who's she going with? And I'd say, such and such. And I'd say, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll drop you, who's dropping you out? And I'll drop you out. And we'd go out and we'd sit outside. But I'd hear parents saying to me, oh, my God, the right venue, such and such. And my mother and I'd be sitting there, we'd be looking and saying, there's nothing wrong here. Mm-hmm. But to us, that was nothing, because... When you're coming from the, tr- the hospitality industry, the pub mm. trade, mm-hmm. when you're coming from the toughest or the most snobbery area of Dublin, it makes no difference to us. Mm-hmm. It was people out having fun. Once she wasn't on drugs, once she didn't come home. I remember one night she came home locked. <laughs> she was <about> 17. <laughs> and my mother looks at me and she says, Where's that one? She's not in yet. About half 12. She says, Mama, no, she's not answering her phone. Give me, give me that phone, says she, and I'll ring her. Where are you? I'm on the way to Andrew She said, she's locked. <laughs> right. So we were sitting in the window. And the next thing, she's, my mother said, oh, look at her. So she, she's legless. She's like a rubber dolly. So she, she fell. She came in. And she cut the knees out of her trousers. <laughs> my mother said, look at the cutting. And we laughed. Mm. Because it was growing up. Yeah. It was grown up. Normal life. Mm-hmm. As, as, as my mm. mother said, she wasn't knacker drinking in a field, Priscilla. Mm-hmm. She was in somebody's house having a beer or whatever she was having. And, you know, the next morning I said, she'll have some hangover. And she did. And my mother said, get her up to do the beds. That'll soon get the sweat out of her. <laughs> <laughs> we got her to strip the bed. She's like a raven lunatic. This is not fair. Well, you won't drink last You won't drink again like last time, my mother said. But mum was... Mum was the dad. Mm. Yeah, she stepped she, in. She stepped in because I I think I had a little bit of a mini nervous breakdown. Okay. It just got all on top of me one time. Now, it was only for about two days. And I went out to the Amana Centre out in Swords. Um, and I met with this nun. She was lovely. And I went on a course of relaxation. And learning to find because it was so unfair in Amy. Amy should so be. So unfair in you. But my job was to protect her. 
And her dad had failed her on that. Did you ever take time for yourself? We do, yeah. No, no. Me? You. I'm asking you. Oh, no. Did you ever... Like, because this was done to you as well, Priscilla. You're very hard on yourself. This started with you. Yeah, but... I love what I do. And I'll tell you where I get... Like, me even talking to you here. This, to me, is relaxation. Because... Our story, it's not my story, it's our story, it's going to help. If we only help one person out of this podcast tonight, we're saving a life. And moving on from that, you have saved many lives. So, both of us have. We have saved probably a couple of hundred. When did that start for you? So, it's called Stop Domestic Violence in Ireland. And we started that in 2016. Mm-hmm. Where did it, like, not where did it come from, but what, what happened? Come on. You were sitting at home and... Um, oh, yeah, now this is, like, this is really below the belt, right? You know when, like, people sit at a table and it's, you know, starting off something, it's like, oh, like, we'll start off something, like, whether it's the likes of a podcast or, you know, a makeup page or beauty page or whatever. And then I'm sitting at home and, you know, do you remember the app Pick Collage? We were, yeah. we were in Leitrim actually. We were in Leitrim. Thank you. And uh, next thing she's sitting on her phone, and my mum wouldn't be very tech savvy. We're sitting there next thing. She's, I'm thinking of starting an organisation. I said, For what? She said, I want to help people for domestic violence. And I said, Are you sure that's not going to trigger you? No, she said, I made a logo right now. <laughs> the logo was like, Do you know the stop signs? <laughs> it was a purple stop sign with just stop domestic violence in Ireland. And I said, I like it. And that's where it came from. Just, she sat there thinking. That's how it started. Because I wanted to give something back from us that we didn't get. So we didn't have anyone to tell us about protection orders, safety orders. Ah, we had a couple of mad guards and you ring them up. Sorry, excuse me. Can you send a car out? I'm in trouble. Or you go down to the station. Look, I can't cope with him. He's after you. Ah, Mrs. Cahome will have a bottle of wine. Ah, sure, he probably had too many pints last night. That was the attitude, and that it was up to 2000. But still, some guards has an attitude like that. But now, they know not to cross the line with us, because what we do, and we have great support, amazing support of the Guards Protection Unit. And basically what we do is that if a victim of domestic violence runs into trouble, they contact us, and we do it so secretly, so quietly, and we put a plan into place. For example, girl last night down in Cork. Um, major problem. She's trying to get away. So I put a plan into place. Um, she's coming up to meet her best friend who's coming home from England. The friend is flying in from England and they're going to stay in Dublin for two nights. So I've all the appointments set up for her to meet the guard, the protection unit. He thinks she's just coming up to me. He doesn't realise the plan that we have behind that. And once we get that plan into place, it works. We're very different because we have a hands-on approach. Mm. We're not, hello, stop domestic violence in Ireland now. How can I help you? May we speak it? Mm. We're not that. We are. Very straight. We're very straight. Hi, what's wrong? Mm. I had a girl last night on the phone crying and crying and crying. Mm. I said, do you feel better? Oh, Priscilla. 
Mm. You get it. This is what they say to Amy. I think as well, it's because it's a personal approach. Yeah, it's unfortunate what we've gone through. We've also just taken a negative and turned it into a positive, you know. Um, like, yeah, people would say, would you not just, you know, move on? And I'm going, no, because I don't want to see other women and men and children on the news. You know, that's what I don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, we're not a perfect country. We will not always get it right. But if we save one life one life a month or one life a year that means a million million things to us how many calls are you getting a week at the moment we're up to 33 a week fucking hell mm. and that's just me and Amy now when I say 33 they're emergency they're emergency yeah. now we probably have another sitting sitting on the inbox that they're we call them our inbox that they're not ready to jump yet mm. probably about 100 yeah like we, we have some people that when we started the domestic violence organisation off, they still haven't left. But each day, as each year goes on, they're getting stronger and stronger. You know? Um, Took you nine times. There yeah. you go, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It doesn't take just one. The whole stigma around domestic violence, it's not just physical, it's mental, emotional. You know, it's, it's torture for years. But what I always say to people is, you can't just leave with the clothes in your back. When you build a house, you know, for example, look my mum, you build a home, you save your money, you know, you don't look at all the red flags, you know, and especially for kids as well. You can't just pack up your kids' stuff and leave. If you have the strength to do that, absolutely brilliant. But if you have a plan B in action, you know, what's the next step you're going to do? It's not as easy as that. The refuges are full. We don't have enough resources for refuges. Um, and it's not that easy, you know, to just leave it all behind. So talk to me about the types of domestic violence. And I obviously you still my fault <laughs> you know what your Amy works with Paul and you know but I saw I'm very lucky with him and he's very lucky with me yeah. um but you know people who are in like a mortgage or in like where, where will I go where, where where do I go I've nowhere to go that is the problem is that the biggest problem that is that it now and I have to give it to Minister McEntee they are opening more refuges there is only 21 refuges in Ireland nationwide we haven't got one in every county we haven't got one in every county we should have one in every major town Mm -hmm. Um, but what we do is for example we had a girl who was going through a really bad patch really really bad patch and she was in a dangerous position Um, she had five children and um, we gave, I gave her the house in Leitrim. Very good. Mm-hmm. The refuges were full. Mm-hmm. Where do you go with five kids? Yeah. Her mother was living down the country, so I gave her the house and she went off for a week. But what that did was, that settled her brain. Mm-hmm. She knew she was safe. We have CCTV down the house, with the internet. Um, she knew she was safe, so she was able then to make correct decisions. Because in domestic violence... The biggest problem is your concentration goes and your memory goes. Because they do that to you. Yeah, because you, you're like, I couldn't read a book now. Could you not? No, like, only for podcasts. Mm-hmm. I couldn't read. I, I couldn't take up a book and read it because the concentration levels are very poor. Now, they're coming back mm. very slowly, but my concentration levels go. Um, it's a silent killer. I unfortunately developed a condition called um, uveitis, which affects my eyes. Um, now I'm very lucky that it's curable. With I'm getting implants now done in a couple of weeks, but I could have went blind, and it was from trauma. 
because when they'd done the x-rays, the consultant, because he had broken my jaw at one point. And I was up in the Santry Sports Clinic and the consultant says to me, Priscilla, when, when they would operate or when they were doing the scan of the face, they said, he said to me, um, when were you in a head-on car collision? I said, I wasn't. He said, the injuries you have, he said, sustains enough, he said, for a head-on car collision at 100 miles an hour. Oh, my God. And he put it in writing to me. I had that as evidence, obviously. But they're the kind of injuries. Rape um, in marriages, that's a grey area. Uh, Why is that a grey area? Because you have a ring in your finger. Because you have a ring in your finger. That's it's fucking like, disgraceful. Then you have yesterday, then you're stalking and... Yeah, I've seen that. That's a brilliant, right? So tell me about that. Well, that's basically, which, like, the ex-copper that was done to that poor girl. Mm. Horrific. He was getting away with that for years. Power. Power. What, he, was, it, what was the case? He, um, oh, he bet her up. She cancelled the poor girl. And he robbed her medication. 137,000 text messages and phone calls. Pulse. Yeah. Unbelievable. And it's all because of power. Power. It's a power trip. Mm. A massive power trip they're on. Their ego. Mm. They love themselves. Bar of chocolate. Mm. Really, nice. you know. And you asked me there a question. Did I get stronger when I took them back in 2000? Uh, you know, I threw them out then 2010 or 11. You do get stronger. Like, we were left destitute. I'd no car. He took my car me. I'm going around getting buses here and buses. And here I am. Well, there's something wrong here. I had a car before. I met him. And now I've nothing. Mm. And in the end, I basically robbed my car back off him because he did it on the road with a taxi. He had my car on the road, hooking around with prostitutes. Oh, my God. And is this what they do? Is this what they just strip you of everything? Yeah, they do, don't they? Sure, he yeah. destroyed poor Annie. Annie, had, well, Annie was left financially very comfortable. Mm. He destroyed her as well. But, Did he? Yeah. yeah. Like my granddaughter left me money when he died in as well. And that's gone. He used to bring me up to the post office, get me to take it out, because he was my guardian on the post office book. <gasps> take it out. Sure, I don't, yeah, I didn't know. I only found, found the post office book a couple of weeks ago. And there was like thousands drawn out, 100 quid put back in and... Yeah, children's allowance the same that was meant to be for schooling and stuff like that and this is where we're able to help victims so if victims for example need to go into court to get a safety order Amy take her lunch early some days from her job fly over to me up with a barrister what's the story you need your evidence you need your evidence really strong so we, I would have a folder so we'd have all the evidence built up Barrister comes up, we hand the evidence to the barrister. Mm. I'd say, and by the way, this isn't the first time. This isn't the second time. And sometimes victims can go on. I'm not saying a rant. They take it out on the legal representation or me or Amy, and they don't mean to, but you have to get to the point because you've got such a short time in the family courts. But to a victim, it's it's a huge trial. Yeah, It's the first time that ever... They face someone that they've been in fear of and lived with for so long, you know. Like I've had, it's not just you know women who are married and have a house. It's young girls. I'm seeing kids at 
17 and 18 and 19. I had one girl who was 22 years of age with two kids. And I'm going, what, like, what is going on? It's not just because, we always say, is it because the abuser feels like they have power? I don't know, is it just that? Is it because monkey see, monkey do? Did their father and mother hit each other? Is it genetics? We don't know and we will never know, mm. you know? Um, I firmly believe genetics. Do you? I do, yeah. I do believe they're born with it. There's, there's a... Um, there's a fantastic, there's a fantastic, oh, he's, look, we, we've met him, Dr. Gabor. Yeah. Right? And everybody's born with a gene. No, I don't know a huge amount of it because I'm not into medical science, mm-hmm. but it's nurtured or unnurtured. Yeah. Okay? So if you get the nurture as a child, like Amy would, or I would, you did, whatever, but if you don't, mm-hmm. and you're not looked after, you can turn into that abuser. There's a f- very fine line between good and bad. Oh, there is. I know that, yeah. yeah. So if I, I'm i talking to you and you're saying, get my evidence just to help anyone out there, what evidence? What's the evidence? So when it comes to a protection order, a protection order, and it's very hard, and I will be honest, when you look at a court paper and you're going, what is, are all these words? It's literally like in Chinese to someone because it's all about the law and you have to know and you have to understand the family law and the legal stuff to understand what you're actually applying for. There's nothing that I know of out there that will go through with you a fine-tooth comment. It'll just say, oh, go to get a protection order, safety order, you'll be grant. But what is it? So, like, a protection order would be something that um, a partner, whether you live with them or not, it would be a lot stronger, obviously, if you live with them. It's to protect you and if there's any dependent children under the age of 18. So what happens is you go and you apply for protection order. Protection order is basically you can still live with them in the same household. You can't, it, it's on a court paper, it's you can't be set, molest or abuse them in any derogatory way, let's just say. And when someone applies for that then, they get that for the duration of, we'll say six months, if there is a long waiting list for safety order hearings. That's protecting for six months. In that six months, how many times is an abuser going to actually abuse the victim more? Probably two or three times in that six months. Mm-hmm. Then, if that happens, you then have to go to the guards and basically say, oh, he or she has breached the order. Then you get the you have to write a whole statement with the guards. Then in that time frame, if you still haven't gone for your safety order, then the abuser could be up for charges in the Central Criminal Court, totally separate to the family law courts, right? Mm. Then when your safety order hearing comes, a judge will decide whether you get a safety order or not. You can get a one-year, two-year, three-year or five-year safety order. And when it comes to evidence, your evidence has to be sufficient. You have to have a brief history, but you have to back the brief history up with evidence, whether it's text messages, whether it's videos, pictures, if it's never, ever physical, because a lot of the time it's not in its mental torture. Um, Yeah, so that's hard. How do you prove that? So what I always say to people, regardless if you've never done it before, start doing it now if you live with them. If you go and get a protection order, because you can walk in and get a protection order, um, and in that time frame, just start being, you know, obviously careful around the house. If you need to set up cameras or, you know, be very careful about what you do. If you're out somewhere and he starts abusing you, he or she starts abusing you, record it. Then you're getting your evidence together. Photographs if there's damage in the house. You know, if you're out in public, if you're together, if you're in the home, if it's the way he speaks to the children, he or she speaks to the children, that's sufficient as well. And I always say to people, date your evidence and what time it was. Because, as my mum said, your concentration goes completely. Daily diary is vital. Uh, yeah. And 
technology is great now. Yeah. And as Amy said, cameras, like, you can buy, we have a company, they're fantastic, down in Kildare. And um, you can buy online if you want. And he even has a power bank. You could be charging your phone. It's a camera. Wow. And then obviously you have your barren orders. So your barren orders and protection orders are totally different. Barren order is that if... Um, Pull that into a little bit. Your barren order is that if you're obviously living together or married, you can um, get a barring order to get them out of the house. Um, now people say, oh, I can just get a barring order if his name or her name is on the house. If you're married, it's so much harder because if you're married and if both names are on the house, it would be up to the judge or obviously if you have good legal representation to get the person's name off the house. Um, so you have your safety orders and your barring orders and your protection orders are your safety orders until your safety order court hearing. Um, and then there's a whole different regular Yeah, because even this, listening to this, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, but that's you know. where Amy and I step in and take that worry mm. off you. And then you're throwing all these, as I'm saying to you, you're going, oh my God, what are you talking about? Mm. And then I'm, there's people going, oh my God, what am I going to do to pay a solicitor? If you don't have seven or 800 quid, mm. get legal aid. What if you're not entitled to legal aid? And that's just tough. But I think it's grossly unfair in this country that if you're a victim of domestic violence, you didn't ask for this, so why, therefore, do you have to go and represent yourself when you're so vulnerable? You know, I just think there should be more of an understanding for victims in this country, which I'm sure there will be, you know, with the new strategy coming out. But I just think children have been forgotten about a lot of the time, you know. Um, And for me, I would always say to young people, please start watching the signs at a very young age whatever about a parent but I'm seeing kids younger and younger at 14, 15 in relationships and whatever about drugs and drink put that aside it's the way they're speaking to their partners it's the way they're telling them if it's the way someone tells you to dress or do your hair that's a red flag for me in itself it may not be for other people but that's a red flag because that's one thing I know is like you're seeing it more youngless and young ones yeah. together yeah, yeah. and then the young is battering her on the road and they're about 14 yeah and you're going where are they getting it from I think social media can be a hit and miss. It's very negative, but it's also very positive, you know, when people are praising each other or whatever. But it's also very negative because you see these posts on Facebook and Mary, Dr. Tommy, or the other way around, and I'm going, keep it off social media and let the authorities deal with it, you mm-hmm. know. And that's a bad thing because people run their mouth. And social media is so dangerous as well when it comes to this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but and you see, you can... We're not guaranteeing that we're going to have your life perfect. No. But if you listen to the likes of people like Amy and I who have suffered, we know how to get around mm. the rough corners. Mm. Yeah. Because it isn't slain, say, sailing. It's not plain sailing. You, you know, there's a lot to do with it. But it's doable and it can be done. Mm. Yeah. Can I ask you, Amy, you said there... When you read your dad's, the letter to your dad, mm. and you were like, I want you to know what you did to, did to me. Like, and as a young woman now, you looking to find love or, you know, to get into a relationship, how do you feel about, like, in your own mind about that? I've been into relationships, well, three, but out of the two, they were, they were abusive. And I noticed the red flags with the first one very late, and my mum was drilling into me and drilling into me, and eventually... The, the person I was with had threatened to hit me. And I said, no, that's it. I've had enough. End that one. I went straight into another one. It was the clothes. It was the hair. 
um and that really now pushed me because I said oh my god am I just um have I just got a sign in my head to go I'm a child of domestic violence let's continue this cycle on mm. um but I think that, like I'm over that two years and it took me a long time to kind of go Amy you need to find yourself and to make yourself happy and maybe do your career first mm. and then see what happens along the way mm. you know um and I think I, I always said that to young people if relationships are not working for you, then you need to find yourself first and find what your niche is, mm. you know? So whether it's you have a hobby or whether it's, you know, the gym or makeup, you know, or whatever it is. Um, so going forward in life, as I'm, Granny says, you've, you know, plenty of years ahead of you. Going mm. forward, yeah, maybe, but no, not right now. No. No. And you know the old adage, adage of when girls meet a fella mm. and they just dump their friends? Yeah. Is that still happening? Oh, it's still happening. Yeah. I did it, mm. you know, and I always say to people that are in relationships and, you know, they distance themselves well, say, she'll come back. Mm. But <clears throat> the next time when we keep telling her, you know, he's no good for you, she's not going to listen. Mm. But it's going to take her 10 or 12 times until she realises he's no good for her, you know. And again, it's not just him and her. It could happen to, you know, same-sex couples as well. Mm. But from what I see, it's just constant of you know he's hitting her or he's been emotionally abusive to her i spot it like that even if i don't know the person mm. i'd say straight away oh my god he's abusing her and my friends go do you know what they don't even say anything anymore because they mm. know mm. i can see it quicker than they can so like now like the, the it's ridiculous but buzzwords like gaslighting yeah. like i said to paul a while ago don't be gaslighting me and he's like if you fucking say that one more time <laughs> only because he's telling me to clean the house because I haven't and he's been cleaning all week or something yeah. you know and then it, like he'll say to me stuff like I, I told you I was going here and I was like no you didn't yeah no you didn't and he'd go I told you I was going golfing and I was like no hang on you didn't and he did tell me but I'm up to me eyeballs like yeah. you know work and everything and I'm like no Paul you're making me mad you're making me mad and I was like you're a gaslight and he's like and I shouldn't throw that word around because no. no. that's not funny like no. to throw that word around yeah but it's good that like you're openly able to talk about yeah not using it you know mm. but I just wish and this is a huge thing in this country I know COVID is a different subject but we talked about COVID for the last two years why can't we talk about domestic violence it's just as rampant as COVID mm. why can't people that have never been through domestic violence have that conversation I'd have that conversation with my friends who've never gone through it. And then when they're in a relationship, and it's gas, because when they go into a relationship with their seeing a fella, they spot a red flag. And that's not me controlling them. That's me mm. saying to them, watch the red flags. And they're going, oh my God, I'm after spotting that straight away. And I didn't have a good, good feeling about it. So mm. I'm glad I have you as a friend, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, like it is. It's, it's just crazy the amount that goes on. You know, and you don't realise. Mm. But I always say, walk in a victim's shoes. If you've never gone through it, you have to walk in a victim's shoes to understand the, the first step. The step to the country. Mm. Yeah. And as we said, it's physical, emotional, financial. Mm. Mental. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, there would be the main. And I think there was, there was something there, somebody, you know, like stupid thing that my mad say, and your own mad probably say it, when someone, a husband dies, that was a happy release because he was a bastard. Mm. So there is there women in their 70s yes. and yeah. in their 80s still it's in huge. domestic violence yeah. relationships? It's oh. huge. It's absolutely, yeah, elder, elderly abuse is yeah. huge. Is it? And yeah. not even through, like, a man and a, a wife and a husband, Could be through a daughter, a daughter or son, or the their kids are abusing their parents. And through 
they've just learned it. That's all they know. How does it stop? They don't change. Abusers do not change. My mother summed it up very, she, she summed, it, summed it up in a word, a couple of words. A leopard doesn't change their spots. They don't change. No matter what you try and do for them, with them, they don't change. There's no cure. So, is it get away, get out, get out? And it's not easy, but you know, people. I always say to people, we have never, and I'm not just saying this, Rebecca. We have never had one person that has. They've obviously gone back a few times, but when they've come to us, we have never had one person that has gone back the second or third time. They've gone and got their order and said, no, I've had enough because they got the strength from us. It was as if we had taken the weight off their shoulders. Shoulders. Mm -hmm. And it's a personal touch. And and we can safely say we've never had a murder case. No. That's what I want to ask you. When when you hear, I know there was a couple of beautiful girls Mm -hmm. that have been murdered by their partners. Yeah. And horrific, like, do you like? Would you sob when you see that stuff? Well, m- my youngest, my oldest childhood friend was Siobhan McLaughlin, Siobhan Carney, who was strangled with the Dyson Hoover Flex in Goatstown in two thousand and six. She was my best friend. Siobhan gave me the strength to get out of my marriage. She was dead. I don't know that case. She was at, they had a hotel in Spain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brian Carney. Yeah. Mm. And that was financial abuse. And do you know... Emotional do, abuse. Do you know the story about the guy who murdered his wife with the brick? Remember, and then... Lillis. Lillis. Yeah, and, yeah, but he got... He got half the, He got, I think, 40% of the estate or something. How the fuck does that happen? Because, obviously, he was only done at that time for a period... Something to do wasn't... I think he was part of the company that they yeah. done up. It was just totally, I don't know how. And like and her family were solicitors. Yeah. So whatever chance they had. Could you imagine the ordinary Joseph? They'd have none. Yeah. So what's the steps? Someone knows they're in a room and they want to get out. I know I can't say, but where, where do they go? What's the turn? All they've got to do is make contact with myself and Amy on Facebook page. Mm. We're on social media anywhere. Yeah. Google us. Our phone numbers are up, up online. Mm. Call us. It doesn't matter what time of the day. WhatsApp us. Mm. When you WhatsApp us, delete it. Mm. Once I get it, right, just delete it. And then we'll advise you from there. Um, never put Priscilla or Amy in your phone. Mm. Never put anything to do. Put in Lollipop Lady. Anything. Don't mm. put our names in. Because we have very unusual names. Mm. And if an abuser is going through a phone... Which they do. They'll know who Priscilla and Amy are. Mm. Because we are on the front line. I'm not just saying we are on the front line. And, and we're, we're honoured that people trust us mm. with their lives. Mm, yeah. We are thrilled people trust us with their lives. That they're able to be able to say, I really need your advice. I've gone here, I've gone there, but they don't seem to get it. And I would say, look, I can't do it this week. I'll have to give you a call. Are you in danger? No, I'm not in danger. I'm staying with my mother for a couple of days. Or I'm staying with my dad. Or you might have a man in trouble. Now, what we do now is because men's aid are so good and they've got such 
a professional team, any of the men that come to us, we send them on to men's aid because they're brilliant at men's They get it at men's aid. Mm-hmm. We're able to private message them and we know them in men's aid. They're brilliant. But like that, Amy would deal. And if they've no clothes, mm-hmm. don't be worrying about clothes, buggies, prams, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you need. The only thing you won't get of Amy and I is you won't get cash. No, we don't give out cash. We don't give out cash. We'll give you <coughs> food hampers. Once we see your orders, we'll give you food hampers. You'll get clothes. Mm. Um, I'm after starting for Christmas now. And we're starting now for Christmas, getting all sanity together. Because, you know, some mummies and daddies decide to go on addiction at Christmas, mm-hmm. be it gambling, drugs, whatever. And we might get a call Christmas Eve. Stuff has been sold. Mm. We've had to send stuff Mick Mick Weaver has been just amazing he goes round in his taxi with stuff for us driving around all hours of the night we were laughing last year I have to tell you a funny story this fantastic girl, friend of ours donated this kitchen and I sent him down to pick up the kitchen little doll's kitchen little tyke's kitchen so he rings me and he says to me fuck's sake he says kitchen he says you didn't tell me he said it was a real kitchen Anyway, the kitchen was huge. It was from actually Ikea. He to put it on the roof rack. And he's gone over the M50 to this girl's house that needed this for Santa. And he said, the windows are blowing on the thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> he says to me. Well, he says, you know what? He says, when I got to the house, he says, I stopped giving out. Because he said, I saw the tears coming out of that girl's eyes. Oh, my God. She was able to make Santi mm. for a little girl. Mm. Jesus Christ. So if we only do that to help one or two people, yeah. isn't it brilliant? Yeah. What does it cost? Yeah. That's like a dream to us, helping one person. And it doesn't matter whether they've got their orders and they're away from their abuser. We've so many friends from this because we get it. We all get it together, you know. Um, but once we help one person, that's a dream come true for us. Yeah. Can I ask you, Priscilla, Amy's dad today, are you still afraid of him? No. Not anymore. Um, I think the tables have turned. Karma has everybody's address. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm not afraid. I've got good people in my life. I've got good support. Um I have great friends, brilliant friends. I have a fantastic relationship with Amy. I got everything. And he has nothing because everything to me is Amy. <laughs> I love the two of you, I swear to God, I really do. And I just think that, as you said, if the podcast can help one person, That's but right. I know it won't. I know every day, like 23 calls a week you're getting emergency calls a week like and you're helping those people mm. and people what I love about it is people remember we were victims we're now survivors okay but the height of respect barristers mm. senior counsels have solicitors have like we have great friends now as barristers give us a shout we're going to for a jar what's the news any crack mm. that to me they do that work for nothing for us. Mm. They give me amazing advice. I have a fantastic friend. Like Sandra McAleer represented me 
and Amy for the divorce. And I walked into Sandra's and I said, I have any shilling. She looked at me. Will you listen to me? And I said, well, he's, he's not getting half the laugh. Will you listen to me? Now, and that's something I find quite difficult to do, to zip my mouth and listen to somebody because I'm quite vocal when it comes to what I've worked hard for. You listen to me, says she. We'll win this. Hands down. And we did. And I walked out and I said, I have to pay you. In time. In time. It's great. And from there on, and then got to know her staff, obviously, in the office. And then um, she's a very good legal executive in there. Um, David Ivers, David's very good to us as well. He gives us advice. Um, Alison, Zara, Rachel, great group of girls in there that would give advice. And that is so important. And then you've got different barristers out there that have... You know, I had Mags Farley, brilliant woman. She went through it. She got it. Mm. She knew it. She knew all about it. And I remember saying to me one morning, we were sitting down in circus. And we were in case progression, because that's quite tough. That's for your divorce. And the other side hadn't arrived. And his barrister had arrived late or something. And the next thing came over and he was really bad for him. Max said, what's wrong with him? I said, I wonder who pissed on his cornflakes this morning. Right, and that'd be the bounty. You'd have that. Mm. But they became like my angels around me. Mm. They were my protectors. Now, let me tell you. Two minutes past nine. Sandra McAleer's office. <laughs> Did you send out such and such? I was on it, I was on it, I was on it. I kept at it and that mm. and that. Because I didn't want him to get away with anything else that he should have. He, he took everything, he stripped me of everything, and he was getting no more. And I wanted to get away from him, and I did. You never gave up on yourself? No. Never give up on Amy? No. I mean, so, like, there is times, and people say, like, how do you, you keep going? And I'm very honest, and I still go through counselling. I've gone through counselling, CBT. There's all forms of, of counselling and going through it. Uh, mental health is, it's not, never so great. Is anyone's? No. Mm. That's okay. You know, the trauma has affected me big time. Um, but I'm blessed. I have a fantastic therapist um, in Highfield Healthcare on the Swords Road, um, Dr. Kennedy. And I have to say, sometimes people say, oh, medication works for some people. It doesn't work for me. I find when I'm talking about it, I have my cry, I have my tears, and that's how I get on with it. You know, you think about it for an hour when you're sitting there. But for someone to even listen and explain what trauma is to you, that's the easiest thing, you know. Mm. Do you think you're going to miss them in the future? I think there will be milestones in my life as I get older, you know. Um, my 21st, there was things that I'm going, right, he's not here. But I was used to him not being around because mm. he was never around, mm. you know. Um, but I'm getting used to him, you know, not being there as in a fatherly figure, you know. But I have such a great mom. I who else would I need? You know, so many people around me. Good for you. And on that note, ladies, we leave it there. Thank you. Rebecca, thank you so much. Thank you. And the page again, please. It is Stop Domestic Violence in Ireland. 
And they can contact you anytime. 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 Even just for a bit of advice. Even yeah. for a chat. And if anybody wants to, and we're very up, we live on the Northern Road, um, and you want to give us a call, we can always pop up to the halfway house, have a coffee. There's two smoking areas there if you want to have a coffee, wait for us outside area in the weather, in the, in the summertime, it's lovely. We've met people down in Super Value, Aldi, Little, Shopping Isles, letting on we were shopping with them. So we're always here. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.